In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, if you've been watching close for the last few weeks, every Sunday since Easter, we've seen someone or a group of people come to know Jesus in a different way, a new way. So, the Magdalene, uh, alone among all the women who came to anoint the body of Jesus, she meets Jesus but doesn't recognize him until he says her name, Mary. And then suddenly she knows. Thomas, in the upper room, his skepticism about Jesus being resurrected is melts away. It's replaced by this profound faith that confesses Jesus as my Lord and my God. The other disciples in the upper room last week, we saw that they, are, they see Jesus. They think they're seeing a ghost. And then he shows them his wounds. He speaks to them, he eats with them, and they know that it has, it's Jesus. And then now today, on what's often called Good Shepherd Sunday, we are once again invited to see Jesus in a different way, through this lens of the shepherd. So today we're going to look at a, a large swath of John 10, which we read from today, and I want to see three things about the shepherd and one thing about the sheep. Three things about the shepherd, one thing about the sheep. First of all, John 10 tells us three things about the shepherd. Number one, Jesus is the good shepherd because the sheep are his. Because the sheep belong to him. So I'm actually reaching back to the first half of John 10. Uh, more of the text than what's actually written in your bulletin. I've learned a lesson to look at the bulletin before writing the homily. Uh, so I've, I've, I'm preaching on a larger swath of the text. Um, but if you go back earlier in the chapter to the first verse of John 10, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So if you go home today, and that's your homework, is to read the rest of John 10. You go home, you pick it up, then you'll notice that this is how John 10, chapter 10, begins. But John, none of the biblical writers divided their, what they wrote up into chapters and verses. That's something that we added later, we imposed, so we could find our way around the Bible. And the way that it begins that Truly, truly, I say to you, there's no other place where that begins uh, any kind of discourse. It's always summing up something that's come before, following up on something, some previous teaching. So it appears in context that John 10, the stuff about the shepherd, is actually in answer to everything that just came before in chapters 7, 8, and 9. It's a big block of text where the issue is, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus character? Anyway, so in Jerusalem in chapter 7, the people begin to whisper, could Jesus be the Messiah? In chapter 8, the, the Pharisees actually come right out and ask, who are you? And then today in chapter 10, 
in a direct challenge to the Pharisees, Jesus reaches back to the Old Testament and dusts off this image of the shepherd. And he says, in one fell swoop, he indicts the Pharisees, and he says, you want to know who I am? This, this is who I am. And so the Old Testament passage he goes to is Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, uh, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy against the leaders of Israel. He calls them false shepherds. So he says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or even searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly. They were scattered because there was no shepherd. Therefore, I am against the shepherds. I will remove them from tending the flock. And then God says, I will place over my sheep one shepherd, my servant, David. And he will be their shepherd. When you hear a prophet say something about someone who's coming that's like David, that's messianic language. The Messiah would be a a, a son of David, come from the house of David. And so Jesus in this is, he's saying that the first thing he tells us is that I'm the good shepherd because these sheep are mine. I am the true king of Israel. I am the Messiah, the rightful king. The sheep belong to me. All others are thieves and robbers. That's point one. Point two, Jesus says I'm the true shepherd because I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So go back to verse 3, also outside of today's reading. Um, Go to verse 3. It says, To him, the good shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls them. uh, He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So I I am from Mississippi, uh, but I was a townie. So I, I didn't grow up in the country, and I don't know from sheep. I don't know anything about sheep. So I had to learn from the commentaries that uh, it was common in those days for multiple shepherds to bring all of their sheep, and then overnight they would put them in one fold, one sheepfold, and it'd be guided, uh, guarded over by one gatekeeper so the shepherds could go off into the field wherever they went to, to sleep, get something to eat for the night, and then they would come back the next morning and uh, they would call, and the strangest thing would happen in the morning. So um, there's a man named H.V. Morton. Uh, Morton was a journalist and a travel writer in England, and he died in 1979. But a long time back, I read something that he had written um, about this odd thing that he saw. This was in a, a travel piece. And Morton said that early one morning, I saw an extraordinary sight not far from Bethlehem. So it's fitting that he was in Bethlehem. Two shepherds had evidently spent the night with their flocks in a cave. The sheep were all mixed together, and the time had come for the shepherds to go in different directions. So one of the shepherds stood some distance off from the sheep and began to call. First one, then another, then four and five animals ran toward him, and so on and so on until he had his whole flock. 
Each shepherd would come in the morning and just stand outside and call their sheep. And at the sound of that voice, that shepherd's sheep and no other sheep would come. And interestingly, it also says that he knows them by their name. So just think of sheep names like Mopsy or uh, I think Cottonball was what I suggested this morning. So whatever, uh, Floppy, the sheep. He knows every sheep by its name. So what does that say to us? I think it says this. I think it says that Jesus knows every one of us individually, personally, and intimately so we can stop working so hard to be someone that we are not. We can stop trying to prop ourselves up before God put on airs, any kind of pretense of righteousness because He knows every deed we've ever done, every thought we've ever thought. And the amazing thing, what makes Him the true shepherd, the third thing about Jesus, uh, that Jesus says about the good shepherd is this. Even knowing who we are, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just think about that. Jesus knows you through and through, and yet he gave his life for your life. Romans 5 says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were rebels, while we still had our fist clenched at heaven, that's when Jesus died for us. Jesus is the good shepherd because the sheep are his, he knows each one, and he lays down his life for them. That's three things about the shepherd, but this story also tells us one thing about the sheep. And it tells us that the world's got a lot of different kind of sheep, but we know only one gate to the sheepfold. The world has diverse types of sheep, but we only know one gate to the sheepfold. So back in verse 7, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then from today's uh, lesson that Reverend Serena read, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. There's one thing that struck me about living in uh, Boston when we were there, and I think it's becoming increasingly the case here, even in what Flannery O'Connor called the Christ-haunted South. It was the religious pluralism of the area. Uh, Boston kind of gets this honest because there's a, uh, its roots are deep in Unitarianism in New England. Um, but I actually thought that the pluralism was one of my favorite things about living in Boston. I, I loved it. I, there was just all of these different people in different religions and no religion at all. I mean, I'm from Mississippi where the only flavors were like Baptist and Presbyterian. So going someplace where there were all of these different people, I found um, life-giving. So in a multicultural, multi-ethnic, diverse place like Boston and increasingly like Nashville, in a culture like that when you've got mosques and synagogues and churches basically on the same street, and books by atheists and believers jockeying for position on the New York Times bestseller list, in a world that's made small by technology, by globalism, bringing people together that are very different, 
in a culture like that, Jesus' claim that I am the gate can seem intolerant, exclusive. So what are we to do? Well, in a diverse world, uh, the church can act in a range of ways to this context. But there are sort of two uh, opposite poles, two twin poles. And one of them, on one end of the scale, is a sort of rigid fundamentalism. The other end of the scale is kind of uh, excessive liberalism. So on the fundamentalist end of the scale, you see that uh, the temptation is to pine away for what was, for some kind of imagined Christian hegemony. But then on the other, on the other end of the scale, on the more progressive, liberal end of the scale, the temptation is to say that no one knows everything. Every religion has to be the same. So, Jesus, we can't say Jesus is the only way into the sheepfold, the only way to get to God. So what do we do? Uh, well, Leslie Newbegin, in a book called Truth to Tell, actually rejects both poles and lands somewhere in the middle. He rejects the, the pole of fundamentalism, rejects the pole of kind of uh, liberal agnosticism, and he lands somewhere in the middle. And he says this, he says that the church must refuse to accept the idea that there's not some third possibility between a theocracy, maybe a return to an idealized picture of medieval Christendom on the one hand, and agnostic pluralism on the other. The call to the church, to us, is to enter vigorously into the struggle for truth in the public domain. He calls the gospel public truth. We can't look for the security which would be ours in a restored Christendom, nor can we continue to accept the security which is offered in an agnostic pluralism where we're free to have our own opinions, provided we agree they are only opinions. We're called, I think, to bring our faith into the public arena, to publish it, to put it at risk in the encounter with other faiths and ideologies, in open debate and argument, and in the risky business of discovering what Christian obedience means in radically new circumstances and in radically different human cultures. Newbegin says we just have to simply be ready to tell our story and to name the name of Jesus. That when the moment comes, whenever opportunity arises, that gently and lovingly and graciously we ask people, come and see where I found bread. That I've found light which shows me all of these other things much more clearly. This, this is the gate where I got in. That is winsome evangelism. It's what I hope the first sail, the leading sail of the bark will be. Not a fundamentalist, not an agnostic evangelism, but the faith of sheep that rest in the knowledge that God knows who we are, that we belong to the Good Shepherd. He knows our names, we know His voice, and for us, He gave His life. One last thing about shepherds and sheep. Uh, in the Middle East, uh, I read this week that um, shepherds don't drive their sheep uh, with dogs like they do in other parts of 
the world sometimes. Instead, what they do is they draw them. They don't drive them, they draw them. And they do it just with their voice. They call out. The sheep hear that voice and they follow the voice. Jesus is our true shepherd, the good shepherd. Listen and follow and then go where he leads and find life and good pasture. On this Good Shepherd Sunday, that is your invitation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.